When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Business Podcast, show number 51. And we went with a business philosophy called the Weak Zebra. Find out who your competition is, rack and stack your customer base, figure out who they're using, then rack and stack your competition that says, here's the strongest to the weakest, go after market share and take it from the weakest and keep going. Welcome to a real-world MBA from the School of Hard Knocks, where entrepreneurs reveal what it really takes to make it. Whether you're already in business or you're on your way there, this show is for you. This is Bigger Pockets Business. How's it going, everyone? I am Jay Scott. I'm your co-host for the Bigger Pockets Business Podcast, here again with my co-host, the lovely Mrs. Carol Scott. How's it going today, Carol? Doing pretty well, all things considered. I'll tell you what, though, no offense to you, Jay, but I'm missing my people, right? <laughs> my goodness, this this staying at home, understand it's entirely necessary. It's the right thing to do. But wow, I had to go this morning to pick up some uh, schoolwork for Cade, our littlest guy, and had to stop myself dead in my tracks because I think I was like five and a half feet within the radius. I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't want to freak anybody out. So Anyway, missing people like crazy, but I'm loving all the Zoom calls, loving connecting with family members, with friends from a long time ago, with business owners, with entrepreneurs, with just other people trying to stay positive and get through this together. And thank you once again to all of our listeners for just sticking in there with us through all of this. We have a really great episode today and you are going to love it. Absolutely. We have an amazing episode today and our episode today is all about opportunity. There is a whole lot of doom and gloom out there these days. Understandably, a lot of people not sure where things are headed, what's going on. Um, but along with that, potential doom and gloom is always a silver lining. And our guest today helps us with that silver lining. His name is Nigel Geisinger, and he is an entrepreneur. He's kind of a hybrid real estate entrepreneur and business entrepreneur. He's figured out how to put those two together to buy great businesses that own real estate and then basically leverage both of them, basically make money both on the business and the real estate itself. But the important thing is Nigel's talks to us today all about the great opportunity we have as either entrepreneurs or wannabe entrepreneurs who are looking to build our business, buy a new business, start a new business. And he talks all about, he, he throws out some amazing statistics and he talks all about how and why today Maybe the best opportunity in decades for those entrepreneurs or those wannabe entrepreneurs to jump in and start building or buying a business. This is an amazing episode, literally action-packed. In fact, stick around till the very end when Nigel tells us his list of very specific actions that you need to be taking today so that 365 days from now, you're operating a successful business. Okay, now, if you want to find out anything more about Nigel, the stuff we talk about in this episode, links to the things we discuss in this episode, please check out our show notes at biggerpockets.com slash bizshow51. 
Again, that's biggerpockets.com slash bizshow51. Now, before we jump into our episode with Nigel, let's hear a quick word from our awesome sponsor. Our sponsor today offers a product that's absolutely perfect for this moment in time. Every plate delivers tasty meals right to your door, and each meal is the same price as one cup of coffee. So you can stay home, take a break from cooking every night, and you don't have to break the bank. I'll admit, I've been skeptical about meal kits in the past. They can be expensive. But every plate is America's best value meal kit. It's up to 58% cheaper than other major brands. Recipes come together in about 30 minutes. And my favorite part is you never buy more ingredients than you need because every plate's recipes come with everything pre-measured. Every plate is constantly expanding their shipment zones. So at checkout, just double check to make sure they deliver to your zip code. Go to everyplate.com to learn more. That's E-V-E-R-Y-P-L-A-T-E dot com. Everyplate.com for fresh meals delivered right to your door. Thank you so much to our sponsor. Okay, now, without any further ado, let's jump into our discussion with Nigel Geisinger. Nigel, thank you so much for joining us today. How's it going? Hey, I'm doing fantastic, Carol. Thank you very much for having me on. Thanks, Jay. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being here. This is going to be a fantastic episode. We've been really excited about getting you on the podcast since I met you back. I guess it was the Bigger Pockets conference last September or so. We talked for a little while, and I love your business model. And it makes even more sense now that we are kind of in the midst of this crisis that we're in the midst of. So I'm, I'm actually, it's probably good for us and our listeners that we held off a few months getting you on here, but I'm really excited to have you on. So just as some backstory for our listeners, can you give us an idea? Where did you come from? How did you kind of get to where you are today and and a little bit about what you're doing today? Absolutely. Yeah. So grew up and born and raised in Salem, Oregon. And my dad was in construction. My mom worked uh, for the local high school. And I was fortunate to also grow up in a family that that with my grandparents that had owned their own business. So I'd always been an entrepreneur at heart. I knew from the time I was little, I wanted to be in business. Uh, My first job was selling rocks on the beach to kids so that they could skip rocks up in the Puget Sound. You know, and and my sister was embarrassed when I was, you know, seven years old. So I knew from the time I was really little that I wanted to own my own business and I wanted to help other people achieve getting their own businesses as well. Uh, Starting after high school or in high school, uh, I went up and, and got some education, financial education from uh, my dad's brother, my uncle, and my grandma. And so truly got that life experience of almost like that rich dad, poor dad experience where, you know, you've got one uncle who's who's really pushing in business and, and a dad who's in construction. Got to take those two skill sets together. Went to Oregon State University, was originally going to be a business degree major, was sitting in class listening to the, the professor talk about derivative lending. And I decided, you know, this isn't for me. I think this could crash the economy. That was 2002, 2008. Derivative lending really screwed up the economy. So thankfully, I pulled out of that. I was I had gotten my degree. Uh, I ended up getting my degree in German, of all things, because I was already fluent in German. And so did that, started up a fraternity. And, uh, and because of that, that kind of got me into that mode of like, you know, anything they can do, I can do. So why take something on when I can just start something up? So started up a fraternity that had, uh, had wanted to get back on campus. We recruited 96 guys in two years and became the third largest house on campus. And from then on, it was, it was all about how to be in business. Outside of school, once I graduated, sold construction equipment for about a decade for two different companies. 
and then decided that I wanted to get into business myself. Uh, the town that I lived in, Salem, has a suburb called Kaiser. That's where I really grew up. And Kaiser had a huge project that took out. Uh, it was called Kaiser Station. It's it's a big development. And when it happened in 2008, uh, there was a, a big downturn there. And as a result, the, the city lost a lot of finances, which was for their beautification projects for the main part of town because of this new development. And it really hurt the community. And so I kept hearing all my friends say, you know, somebody's got to do something about this. Somebody's got to do something about this. Well, eventually somebody has to do that and somebody has to be that person. And I got so fed up that I was working on an apartment rehab project that I had. And, and my best friend said, you know, this isn't right. Somebody's got to do something about it. And I, I can remember having drinks and I said, I've heard that line one time too many. Never again. Who's going to be that somebody? I'm going to be that somebody. And so I looked online right then and there and found on Biz Buy Sell a, uh, a business that was up for sale. And I called the business broker right there. We were sitting at a bar and I called the business broker and said, hey, is this thing for sale? He says, yeah. He said, send me the financials on my iPhone. We, uh, while sitting there at the bar, I ended up buying the business. And I looked over at my friend and said, you know what? We're going to lead from the front. So did you have any, I mean, what, did you had, did you have any experience buying businesses? I mean, how did you decide, like, how much am I going to offer and, and what do I get and what's the risk? I mean, that just, that's crazy. That's crazy. Right? It is, isn't it? Yeah. No, that's exactly how American economy works though, right? You're supposed to go, you know, we can figure this out. Smart people can figure this out. So what did I do? No, I hadn't really had a large experience into it. I mean, I had had some, I take that back. While selling construction equipment, I had a, a customer of mine who got in some financial hardship. I had some real estate because I'd been saving my money and putting it into real estate. He got in a bind. I told him, let's use my assets as collateral for your bond. But as a result, I want 25% of the company. And he did it. This was in 2010. And, and so after three years of doing that, I now had a business. I mean, that glass company got up to $20 million of business. I sold that off here about three years ago. But that was literally because I said, you know what? You need somebody to, to be there for the collateral. I'll jump in on that. And so I had some sort of business, you know, where I had my own, but I had a group of mentors behind me that I could tap into for better advice. And so that's what I did. I wasn't the smartest guy. In fact, I'm not ever going to be the smartest guy. I'm, I, I was never a four-point student. I wasn't the guy who's, you know, summa cum laude. I wasn't the guy who was ever picked first for a baseball team. Heck, I was usually, you know, I was batting ninth, right? I mean, I'm also involved. I was on our state football championship team for McNary. I'm I'm in the pitcher, but I'm not, I didn't play. Like they didn't win it because of me. I just happened to be there, right? So the thing is, is that, that I take that approach and say, you know, I don't have to be the very best. What I have to do is I have to find people who are, tap into them and then grow this thing because there's so much opportunity and it's just, is somebody willing to pick it up? You know, going back to that story on the rocks on the beach, when I came back from that summer camp, my sister, like I said, was super embarrassed. And my mom says, well, Kendall, that's my sister. Why are you embarrassed? And she says, you know, he's just selling rocks on the beach. They could have just picked those rocks up themselves. They were just skipping rocks into the Puget Sound. And my mom said something that's just absolutely profound, but, but small at the same time. She says, yeah, but, but they didn't. Love it. You know, I sold rocks on the beach. I went to a summer camp at, at seven years old and walked home with a hundred bucks and a whole bunch of candy and t-shirts and hats and everything that said the summer camp on it because I picked up a rock on a beach. I'm not the smartest guy, but kids want to skip rocks on a beach and they give me a quarter for a rock to skip. I, I took it. I, I love that. Okay. Let's go back to this business because I'm intrigued now. So 2010-ish, you're yeah. sitting in a bar, you're talking about like somebody has to do something. You find this business. Is that the glass business? 
No. So this is an appliance business. Okay. So I've been rehabbing an apartment complex and I thought, you know, hey, this is great. I can do this. And then I looked and said, you know, there, there's, there's got to be a better way because I don't want to just be a landlord. So we're talking about this and I'm looking at these at this appliance store or at appliances. We bought a, a bunch of appliances, about $16,000 of appliances. And then the next week I have another complex just down the street and it gets a repair for an appliance for a dishwasher. And if anybody owns apartments, you'll know that you've, you know, you've got maintenance and repair and all that. I got a bill to fix a dishwasher for $486 and I lost my mind. I was like, I can go buy a new one for 300. What, what the heck? So I called up the guy who was, who was doing the repair and he's like, well, are you going to pay the bill? Not like, Hey, let me look into this. Not, Hey, something seems off. He just says, are you going to pay the bill? And so that prompted me to say, there's got to be a better option for, for who I'm using. Right. So then I talked to my buddy who's a contractor and he goes, you know, there's really nobody who sells to the construction guys and somebody who fixes. There's, there's kind of a disconnect between the two. You can buy big volume at the box store. You can get the mom and pop to fix. But if you've got a big rehab project or you've got a new apartment complex or you're building new houses, there's a disconnect between those two. And I said, bingo, there's our deal. So when I went, when we're sitting at the ball at the bar, I look up on BizBuy and see that this guy's selling, you know, appliances who's wanting to sell. This was a competitor of the guy who I had used. And so I said to my buddy who builds apartments, I said, hey, if I if I sign this deal and buy this, do I have your business? And I'm kind of smiling because I've got the PL from this other business. I mean, you can pull that stuff up online from BizBuy. So he goes, Yeah, why? I said, I want you to shake on it and say that I'll have your business if we get it. And I said, by the way, you know, about how much you guys spend on appliances year for your for your apartment building. It says, oh, not too much, maybe about seven, uh, you know, seven figures, just over a million oh. bucks a year. I said, okay. I said, uh, I'll buy the next round. He says, what? I said, just shake on it that, that I got your business. He says, well, we've got existing contracts. It's going to take about two years to get you into them because I can't cut the people who I'm already doing stuff with. I said, I, I totally respect that. We sign, we, we shake on it. And he goes, why are you smiling so big? I said, well, because this guy only did $350,000 in revenue last year. Thanks for tripling the size of the business before I even bought it. Took four months to buy it. We bought it through an SBA loan. I bought that business for $150,000. In 2017, we did almost $9.5 million of revenue. Holy, up from one, oh my gosh, 150, that's awesome. We were, we were Whirlpool's fastest growing dealer in the country three years in a row. And we went with a business philosophy called the weak zebra, which is find out who your competition is, rack and stack your customer base based on how much they do, figure out who they're using, then rack and stack your competition that says, here's the strongest to the weakest, go after market share and take it from the weakest and keep going. And once you've taken them and their market share, go on to the next week's zebra. Okay. Just- S- say that again. And I, I, I think I sort of got that, but can you say that again in a little bit slower and, and sure. smaller words for my brain so that, <laughs> that we can really get an idea of this strategy? Yeah. So if you take your market, any market, it doesn't matter what you do. Everybody has competitors, the big fish, the little fish, everywhere in between. Now, just because somebody is a bigger business doesn't mean that they're a better business. It just means that they are currently bigger than you are. Now, everybody has weaknesses. Some people have logistics issues. Some people have personality issues. Some people just just don't have it in the, in the right marketing spot. So what we did was I hired an outside PR person. And what my PR person did was she went to all of the property management companies, all of the home builders, all of the apartment complex manufacturers, all of the, the nonprofits that have housing, all of the people who 
could buy appliances more than once because you or me, we're only going to buy a dishwasher in our house every seven to 10 years, right? But the housing authority is going to buy one every week. The, the union gospel mission is helping people get into houses. They need a washing machine every week. You know, there's some, some different things that these can be repeatable customers. So what I was looking for is not to get that one off that I'm fighting with the big box store, you know, that, that's selling appliances, you know, in bulk. What I'm looking for is who can, who can I build a relationship with and then this month sell it to them and then next month sell it to them and then the next month sell it to them and the next month sell it. So we have to figure out who those customers are first, right? Well, once we find out who they are, we also need to know who are they using and why? Well, once I know who, who the customer is and who they're using, then I can create a business plan of how to get those customers. So based on that, what do I do? It's really simple. I rack and stack them and say, okay, well, this is the guy who's hardest to get. And he's, he runs business even better than I do. I have a competitor in my own town. It hurts to say it, but they're actually better at business than I am. You know why? They've been doing it for 60 years. They have their systems down better. doesn't mean anything against my company and the people who work for me. I love the people that work for me. I love my clients. I respect my competition. I'd love to take him out, but I hope that through this, this, uh, you know, this pandemic that we're suffering, I hope nobody goes away. Because I'm a better business person because that competitor exists. And so what we do is we rack and stack them. Now, there are some people who are not good at business. We all have competitors that do that. I'm sure some people think that about me. But the facts are, is if we can rack and stack and say, here's where the customer base is. Here's where my company is. Here's these other ones that aren't doing as well. And to be honest, the customer deserves better. They, get, they need either a better price, they need better service, they need better quality, they need better response time, whatever it is. And so figure out where you're stronger than somebody else, find out where those people are weak, and attack that competitor that way. And so we actually had an Excel spreadsheet, and it was color-coded. There was like 13 different appliance servicers and dealers in our city. We knew exactly who every property management company was using, every builder, who they were using, and why. And we knew... What was their reasoning? Was it price? Was it this? So now when we went after those, those customers, what did we do? It was really simple. We just simply gave them what they were looking for. Because some guys are price. Some guys are, are service. Some people are, I want it now. Some people are, hey, you know, I want the aesthetic of the showroom to be better than what I've got. Some people just want to go out and have a drink with you. Some people, there's, there's all sorts of reasons that people do business with other people. And so what I found was, if I knew the why, I could give them the why that they wanted, not necessarily the why I was trying to sell. So that's what I did. That's awesome. So so let me summarize this, make sure I, I had this correct. So basically, step one, figure out who your customers are. And you did that by hiring outside PR people who could do local marketing to businesses and not just any customers. You focused on those customers who were repeat buyers, which is really smart if you think about it. I mean, you find a repeat buyer and you're marketing to them once, maybe twice to to, to get them to keep coming back. You go after those one-off customers, you have to keep that marketing machine going because you're constantly finding new customers. So step one is finding these repeat customers. Step two figuring out who they're using for their services, who your competitors are, and kind of rank them top to bottom, who the best ones are to the worst ones are, so you really understand who your competitors are. Step three, figure out what your competitive advantage is uh, compared to those competitors. So how can you do things better? What do you do better? What do you? What resources do you have? What, what 
knowledge or expertise that you have that you can really outshine those competitors. And then step four, within that framework of who your customers are, who the competitors are, who the what your competitive advantage is, figure out how you can offer a better service to those specific customers than those specific competitors can. Is that about right? That's exactly that's exactly it. Okay. It's it, it and and like I said, we call it the weak zebra because uh, you know lions they don't go attack the herd, the entire herd. They go and find the weakest one first, and they eat that one up. And as a result, the herd's stronger, the lion's stronger. We consider ourselves attack dogs. We we want to be aggressive, not reckless, but aggressive. And so as a result, what do we want to be? We want to be that hungry lion, and we want to take out that weak zebra. That's, That's awesome. And it sounds like you're not only being that hungry lion and attacking and going after this strategy hardcore, it sounds like you're balancing it really nicely by custom tailoring your approach for every one of your customers based on what they want and need. You're not just blasting out there, just saying, this is what we've got. This is how we're going to make this happen. You're really tuning in to listen and give them the best thing that resonates most with them. That's exactly. And there's, there's a compassionate aspect to this too, that people need to have. So like, you're going to knock out competitors. It's going to happen as a result. If you do this strategy, you have to have the mercy on the backside too. So those same guys who sold me a dishwasher that I got so upset about, oh, trust me, I went after their business and a year and a half ago, they wrapped up. You know what I did before they wrapped up? I offered every single one of those people at that company a job, including the owner. And I said, you know what? You guys are actually better at appliance repair than I am. Your techs are better than me. You guys have really bad customer service. Why don't you come work? Why don't you come work for us? And why don't you guys be the techs? And why don't we make sure that now you can do what you need, but you've got some fulfillment issues that we can serve, you know, that we can do because we have the logistics that you guys don't. And this guy actually ended up making more money working for me. He still works for me today. I mean, we've had all these you know, these different things with people getting furloughed and all this, all of the service techs that came over, guess what? They're all still working. Every one of them, they're still doing repairs. They're doing repairs right now. I love that. So, so you're basically, you're, you're being honest with yourself. You're saying, hey, this is what I'm really good at. I'm really good at the marketing. I'm really good at running the business. I'm really good at reducing expenses, whatever it is that you're really good at. And then you're saying, here are the things I'm not so good at. I'm not good at actually fixing appliances. But here we have somebody that's actually been running this business for five years or 50 years who is really good at that. Why not let them keep doing that? Let them do what they're really good at. Let them do that thing that allowed that business to be in business for five or 10 or 50 years while you improve the business by doing what you're really good at. Basically just that complementary skills. Here's a little secret. I can't actually install a dishwasher. Like I don't know how to do that. My company last year worked with 18,000 customers and I don't know how to install a dishwasher. Like I actually don't know how to do that. Like if I want to go do a dishwasher, I'd have to go YouTube it. I don't know how. However, I've got a dozen people who know how. And I know that if I need to install a dishwasher, I can call, you know, David who works for me, who worked for those other guys. And David can get dishwasher in 15 minutes. So why would I go do it? Love it. Love Cause, it. Cause I can pay him and he's amazing. And I'm so grateful that, you know, that this happened because, and he is too, because now he doesn't have the headaches and the risk and he's making more money. Yep. And we talk about that a lot on the show. Carol and I talk about that a lot in our real estate investing business. I know there are a lot of real estate investors out there, but we flipped 400 plus houses and Carol will tell you, I still can't change a light bulb. And he doesn't. Why? (laughs) And just like you, why would he? He could call a guy who can have it done quicker and simpler and easier than he could even mess with it. Yep. 
That's right. So love it, love it, love and, it. Okay. And, and I think I think that there's a lot of opportunity for people. I mean, I found appliances, but there are so many opportunities for so many people right now. This market is absolutely prime for the picking and it's going to be amazing going forward. Okay. So this was your first business, but you've bought and built a bunch of businesses since. And I love your business model. You have a very, I don't want to call it unique because you're probably not the only person that's doing it, but it's unique enough that I hadn't thought of it or seen it before. Can you talk to us a little bit about what your kind of your, your strategy for businesses are and investing is and what kind of niche you've kind of built over the last decade? Absolutely. So my wheelhouse is I love businesses where you've got an owner who wants to retire. Um, so let me step back just a hair. 10 years ago, well, it's now been about 15 years ago, I was sitting in a dentist office. And if somebody uh, that's listening can find this article, please, please, please send it to me. I would, I would love to mount this thing on my wall. There's an AARP magazine article in a dentist office that I read. And it said that with the, they were talking about baby boomers and retiring. Of course they did because it's AARP magazine. And what they said was 90% of businesses have no succession plan whatsoever where there's an employee that can take the, the business. Hmm. And they were talking specifically about businesses that had a gross revenue of one to 10 million with a 10% EBITDA, which means these are $100,000 a year people minimum that 90% of them have no way to sell the business, give the business to an employee or anything if they don't do some sort of seller finance. How sad is that? So then it got me looking into some data. And here's some, here's some just real basic analytics. Last year, 360,000 businesses wrapped up. Only 32,000 EIN numbers were acquired by other companies. That means that 328,000 businesses last year wrapped up. Wow. So... So when we look at this, there's so much opportunity that it's it's there. It's there for the picking, right? So what I was reading this magazine, I'm saying, wait a second. So you've got a whole bunch of sellers. You have nobody who wants to buy right now. And so there are three things you can negotiate in any deal, no matter if it's a business or if it's this, the can of soda pop that you're going to drink. There is price, there is rate, and there is duration. Now, normally when somebody buys something, a piece of real estate or a business, they negotiate the buy price with the seller and they negotiate the rate and the duration with the bank. Now, in businesses, it's not that way. You take the gloves off and you say, hey, wait a second, I'm gonna negotiate the price, the rate, and the duration. Because in many cases, the business owner owns the business with no debt, or has minimal amounts of debt, or also owns the real estate that the business holds. Now, bring in that, that type of thought process with the SBA that exists. You can go buy a business with 10% down on a business. So. The example that I'll give is the real life example of what I bought uh, for another appliance store. See, because I bought the first one and I thought, you know what, why don't I create a network of, uh, create a regional appliance store where we've got five or six or seven different locations and we can send product from one location to another. We can have some synergies between our delivery staff, our service staff, and, and we can have a few salespeople. And if somebody's sick, I can move them from one store to another. You know, this helps out just on a cost basis, right? So I find a, an appliance store that's based in Sherwood, Oregon, and the people own the land and they own the business. Now they're hitting the, the senior end of their career and they want to retire. And so they say, you know what, we want to sell, but we don't want to get all the money now. So what do we do? So we came up with a really creative solution. What if I use the SBA to buy the business and they get all the cash for the business, so they're all paid out, and they carry the debt on the land 100%. Now that doesn't sound like a big deal, 
for most people, but let's go into some of the numbers. And these are the real numbers. We bought the whole thing for $1.8 million. That's the land and the business. We decided that the business was worth approximately $500,000. So they would get $500,000 and then they'd carry a note on $1.3 million for the land. On that $500,000, I needed to come up with $50,000 because the SBA gave me $450,000. That means that for a $1.8 million acquisition, I spent $50,000 of my own money. This was a positive cash flowing business. It still exists today. It's open. If somebody needs appliances, come on in. We're in Sherwood. Like, we'd love to help you. It still exists. Now, here's the kicker. I bought that in 2015. We are going through some refinance, just like a lot of smart people are doing right now. You should be looking at that if you own a business, own land, see where your costs are. We got a $3.2 million valuation on that land. Wow. So now the business, I've got the debt service paid down. We've been paying that for the last four and a half years. So we've got that debt service down by a couple hundred thousand. The business has paid itself off. And that $50,000 equates to almost $1.4 million of asset value. So the question is, is why are more people not doing this? It's not because I'm smarter than anybody else. Because like I say, I'm the guy who's picked last in sports. I'm not the smartest in the room. What I found is that there are so many opportunities and nobody's asking the simple question, what do they want? You know what these owners wanted? They wanted an annuity. They wanted to get revenue every month. They wanted a shot in the arm, which is what the SBA loan gave them. And then they got paid $10,000 a month on that land for three years until we refinanced it. And that's what they did. It was the greatest thing for both people. They mitigated tax expense because they didn't take $1.8 million in all one year. They were able to, to maneuver this thing. So everybody benefited because we negotiated price, rate, and duration. And all three are equally as important. And so what I'd love to see is people today get that are listening, I'd love to see people get creative about this because ultimately we're going to have to rebuild this economy and it's going to come on the backs of people who are smart enough to figure it out. And there are millions of businesses, you know, there's 25 million businesses, 7.7 million of them employ two people or more in this country. There's so much opportunity right now. Our government is literally giving away money to people to keep businesses and keep people employed. Why not grab it? It's there. There's people who want to walk out of business. We have 200,000 people last year that graduated with MBAs in this country on an average debt service of $250,000. We have 328,000 businesses that didn't get acquired last year. Why don't we just match up the 200,000 people who are walking out with an MBA and the 328,000 who are going to shut down and give it away for nothing and go like this? Oh, hey, lo and behold, we don't have businesses just, you know, getting killed because small street, main street is as important or more important to me than Wall Street. I don't care what the CEO of Boeing made when everybody was fighting this out. What I care about is how do we preserve every business? How do I preserve that bakery that we shop at? How do I preserve that small, you know, uh, sewing machine, manual, you know, repair company? How do I save, you know, the, the little tax guy? You know, how do I save these small businesses? Because between the 7.7 million of us small businesses, we are as important or as viable and more important to Main Street because we represent 64% of the people who actually work in this country. And we represent 61.8% of the new employees that are created annually in this country. Because the back of this country was built on small business. It wasn't built on Wall Street. And so my stance is, why am I here today? And I'm so blessed to be here with you guys is one thing and one thing only. I want to see us come back and I want to see us rock it. And I believe that we can. 
And I think it's not going to happen by one company taking a million steps. It's going to happen because 7.7 million business owners say, you know what? Not today. We're taking one more step than we should have. We just need one more step. And if we do that as a country, it's going to be amazing. We are going to see a change as this thing comes out. And I'm so jacked because I know that we are going to see huge changes. We've already seen it socially change in our country. You know, nobody's complaining about what bathroom to use right now. It's the one with the toilet paper. So, you know, who's going to solve that? The small mom and pop. Yeah, I, I, That's and where it's I, I need to tell a little story here just to reinforce this because you are absolutely correct. And, and I, I never shy away from talking about my mistakes. So a bunch of years ago, I started a company and uh, a company went well for a little while, but turns out that our costs were way too high. We were, we were designing and building a product. Our margins were low. And after a couple of years, we basically had to give up. We shut the, the business down. Looking back, there was no reason why we needed to shut the business down. We weren't generating the the profits or the margins that made the business worth it for us. But it was a mildly profitable business. It was profitable enough that I guarantee you there are people out there that would have been thrilled to own this business. They probably could have held on for a few years as as technology costs came down and and if they were better at uh, at at optimizing certain types of of supply chains than I was, they probably could have made it a really profitable business. So we shut this business down without even trying to sell it. And I know there are all these people out there that think, well, why would an owner sell us a business at practically nothing? Why would an owner be willing to basically hand us our business? Well, let me tell you something. Six years ago, I shut down a business that I would have been thrilled to sell for 50K or 100K or 200K on terms. I would have taken a no money down offer from, from another business owner who came in and said, let me just give you 10% of, of our profits for the next 10 years. I would have taken anything because I shut that business down and took nothing, even $10. Somebody comes in and says, I'll give you $10 for your business. I would have made $10 more. And so that goes to exactly what you were saying. 90% of these business owners don't realize, and I think I'm pretty good at this, and still Still, I walked away from this business without giving it a second thought. 90% of business owners think about it even less than I do. You catch them when they're ready to walk away and they're going to be happy to hand you the keys to their business because they're going to make something as opposed to nothing. So I, I wish I would have talked to you six, seven years ago because I would have made a whole lot more money. Everybody needs to listen to this. Well, my, my stance is this. I believe that right now we have an opportunity to, to grow. I mean, as a country... There has never been a greater time than right now. I mean, this isn't some sort of movement that's going to happen. This is the moment. I mean, if you want to know, you, you're going to go back 20 years, 30 years, 100 years from now, your kids, your grandkids are going to go, hey, what did you do in, two, in April of 2020? Because in April of 2020, we as a country have a decision. Are we going to step up and say, hey, you know what? We're going to go and we're, we're not going to let any business go behind. And we're going to make sure that the ones that the people are tired and beat up because emotionally, it's tough. I mean, I'd be lying if I said that last night, I didn't come home and cry, you know, because I love people who, I, who work for me and I've got to make tough decisions. I did. It's hard. And this is the real talk of how business goes. And a lot of guys, you know, or, or women, please don't take it wrong if I use the word guys, it's just the colloquialism I use. But, but a, lot of, a lot of folks that are business owners, you know, this is not easy. It's hard. It's really hard. It's so hard that people don't try it because they're scared and people give up too early. And the reason that we shouldn't give up is because there's so much opportunity right now. The amount of opportunity that we have is ridiculous. 
And right now we have government, the government literally given small businesses loans. And don't be surprised if you see debt forgiveness on it for some of this stuff. You know, I mean, you're never going to mitigate the risk 100%. So jump in because if you don't, you know, what What do you got to lose? I mean, if you're going to go broke, you might as well go for it. Swing for the fence. So so let, let's talk actionable here for a second. So let's say you've convinced me and you have convinced me that I need to go out today and buy a business. And now maybe it's a business like you said, where there's the business and the underlying land, which we kind of skipped over this, which this was another Sorry. amazing tip here, which is literally... If you buy a business where the owner owns the land underneath, you've now purchased two independent assets that you can grow independently. You can grow the business. You can allow the the land underneath it to to grow and and appreciate. And at some point, you can sell the business and keep the land. You can sell the land and keep the business. You can keep both the land and the business. If you sell the business, now you have a tenant that's the the new owner of the business is going to come in. He becomes your tenant. As long as the Mm -hmm. business is successful, he's going to be paying you your rent on the land. I mean, amazing, amazing strategy there. Now, let me ask you a question, though. Actionable. I'm ready to do this today. Our listeners are ready to do this today. How do we find that business or those five so, businesses that, that we can do this couple, with? Absolutely. A couple different ways. Number one, I mean, we all have to be quarantined. That doesn't mean you can't go take a drive down your street, right? Go go to, go to buy the businesses of the people who, who are baby boomers that you think, hey, you know, these guys might be tired. You know, it's not hard. Right now, a bunch of these businesses aren't open. So drive by and see which ones aren't open. See which ones are open and just call them. Hey, I've been a customer of yours for 20 years. I've been a customer of yours for two weeks. Hey, I see this is, this is something. Can you tell me about your business? I'm yet to ever find a business owner who's not passionate about what they own. I've never found a guy who goes, you know, I've had this plumbing company for 32 years and you know what? To heck with it. (laughs) You know, they're not there. They're like, Hey, you know, I built this from the ground up and that toilet back there, I fixed 43 times. You know, everybody talks about because they're passionate about what they've done. It's what people have sunk their lives into. And so go in and find somebody who is tired because there's a lot of people that are tired and inject that energy to them. Inject that energy and say, so what can I do to make sure that we come back together? You know, we've all closed down. How do I make this so that the comeback is that you've got a shot of energy in you because you've got the know-how and I got the energy. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give a shot of my energy into your know-how and you're going to get a shot of your know-how into my energy. And together we're going to forge this because you know what? No business employer that I know of doesn't have compassion for their employees. Nobody wants it. When you wrapped up your business, I guarantee the the thing that was on your mind the most was, do the people who work for me, you know, is, is this right? Should I stick around a little bit longer for my people? Because everybody who has compassion had that in their head. How do I take care of my people? That's what I cared about most whenever I had to, to do something this last week. So by walking in, and seeing those owners and saying, hey, how do I keep your people employed? How do I keep this thing going? That's what it is. That, that's awesome. And so basically what I'm hearing is we're, we're all sitting here thinking, okay, we're going to go and we're going to offer the, the owner money because that's what the owner wants. We do the same thing in real estate. We always think the only thing to offer to, to a seller is money. That's all they care about. But we know that there are problems that people have when they're selling real estate or selling a business. And one of the big ones is this continuity. And we don't think about that, but there are a lot of owners out there who would probably be happy to say, take my business or take it for a really small amount. 
All I ask in return is that you keep paying my employees. You keep the business going because this is my legacy. This is this is not up to, to a lot of business owners. This is emotional. And they want to see that their business lives on. They want to see maybe their names on the business or maybe, maybe these are employees they've had for 20 years and they want to see that live on. This is a legacy for them as much as it is a financial windfall. Again, a lot of business owners, they'll take $10 because it's 10 more than they would have made. But if you promise the continuity you're offering something that they otherwise could not have. That's exactly it. The, I have never had an owner. I, I've bought, so we bought out, I think, nine appliance stores. I've bought a laundromat. I bought a glass company. I've started up a home building company. I have never had an opposing owner say the most important thing was the money. It's always been, so, hey, you know, so-and-so, I brought him on four years ago because they had a drug problem and, you know, watch this person because I care about them. And I, I gave them a chance. Make sure that you protect this person. Hey, you know, this person is a single mom and she's, she's really fought it out. She's a hard worker and all she needs is somebody to, to let her come in at eight fifteen instead of eight because she's got to take her boys to school. You know, this is, this is what people actually care about. We, we get into all this business, you know, talk about all these different analytics and all that, and we can get into it, but, but it really comes down to an emotional connection and how can you serve your employees and how can you serve the seller's employees? Because that's what they care about. I have yet to ever have one say, you know what, here's the check, write it to me to heck with it. I'm out. Everybody says, Hey, how do I take, you know, this person I go to church with and I care about them. Make sure you protect them. Every single business that I've ever bought has had that story. And those are very, very real examples. And if my employees are listening, they know exactly who I was just talking about. Awesome. Okay, so the next step. I'm sorry, I'm a little emotional here. These are very, this all, especially right now with everything that's going on in we're all, just like you said earlier, society is changing so massively. We're all connecting in new, in different ways than we have before. It just, I think, makes all of this so massively relevant right now. So thank you for sharing these great examples. So let's see. You go ahead and you identify what that potential business right might be, right? So will you take us through the next step, Nigel? Now that you've found it, how do you negotiate? Like, how do you negotiate those terms, the duration, the price, and so on? How do you know how much to offer? How do you know what to ask for? What is that next step? So the first and foremost, most important thing is straight up cash flow. How much does this business cash flow? And these are the important words to know. As is, how is, where is. So as it sits, how it is, where it sits, how do I make sure that this business cash flows so that I can give you as the investor and the buyer of this business as it sits now, assuming that I don't improve it at all, how can I make sure that you get the most amount of cash if you're going to carry some of this note as a creative finance solution? So based off of that, if we know what the cash flow is, we can reverse engineer what the monthly payments can be. Once we figure out what the monthly payments can be, we can then adjust what the price, the rate, and the duration are. If you just get into a simple Google loan calculator, you can figure it out based on what it is. Now, you need to retain some of that profitability for a safety net. And as a new business owner, you're going to have some hiccups that are going to dip down. So there's some risk tolerance, but you're also going to have some new ideas that are going to you know, put this thing on steroids and jack it up as well. So you've got to find where that happy medium is. And once you find that happy medium... You just hit that price. 
I always offer as is, how is, where is, that it's got to finance based on that. So we can negotiate the rate. We can negotiate the price. We can negotiate the terms. And we just maneuver this so that it works for everybody. What I want is I want that business owner to win. I want to win. I want the employees to win. I want everybody to win. My goal, most of all, with all of this and why I want to be on here specifically this week is I believe that we cannot leave a single business behind. Not one. I love that. And so just to kind of reiterate this, because again, we have a lot of real estate investors out there who might think in terms of real estate. In the real estate world, if you if I'm going to go buy an apartment building, let's say, um, there's always this struggle between what the seller thinks it's worth and what the buyer thinks it's worth. And the seller's thinking about, well, next year when you do some renovations and you raise the rents and you get better tenants in, it's going to be worth X. And you as the buyer, you think, well, based on the amount of renovations you have today and the amount of rent that's bringing in and the occupancy today, this is what it's worth today. And when you say as is, how is, where is, you're essentially talking about what the situation is today. And so you're not going to be paying, again, in the real estate world, you're not paying a, a, an owner what your building is going to be generating in, in rent next year. You're paying based on what it's generating today. So if I find a business and I find out that the cash flow and, and the cash flow is basically your profit, like after all your expenses are paid um, at the end of the day before taxes, this is how much money you bring in. Let's say you have a business that's bringing in $20,000 a month. You're now thinking, okay, I know this business is bringing in $20,000 a month. I want to take some of that home as my profit. Um, but then there's going to be some of that that's left over that I can then use to pay, be paying the owner the seller financing. I've been using that to pay off the business. So if you know a business is generating 20000 a month, maybe you're saying, okay, I want half of that for me. I want half of that as my cash flow for the work I'm doing for the business I'm building. And then I'm willing to take the other half, let's say 10000 and give that to the business owner. And so maybe that's 10000 a month now. Over a year, that's $120,000 a year. And I want to pay 360000 for this business. So I'm going to do that for the next three years. Is that kind of how the how you're thinking? It? That's exactly it. And and usually what I do is I say, well, what if we what if we carried this through? And what were you making before? What were you keeping yourself? What were you reinjecting back in? And how do we get the number that you need? So now we know what cash flow is, and now we know what number they need. Now we can fix price, and we can fix rate, and we can fix terms based on that. That's awesome. I absolutely as is how is where is. Because we don't need to pay for Blue Sky. And this might sound harsh, but the facts are is I shouldn't pay somebody else for my efforts. It should pay me for my efforts. And, and that owner should also respect in the fact that if they want this to continue on, they need me to be profitable. And that doesn't mean take advantage of that, of that buyer or take advantage of that seller from either side. I never want to beat up the, buyer or the seller of the business because they're carrying the note. We're in this together. This isn't a me versus them. This is a me and them. If they're carrying on this and we're doing creative solution financing, you know, where they're carrying the land and I, and I got the SBA loan, why would I want to beat them up? I, I want to take care of these people. These are my partners in this. And so, you know, I can get into a business that I don't necessarily know everything about because they have the expertise. The one caveat on every single deal I've cut is that, I have to deliver the checks to them personally every month. I do that because those people ask me, hey, what's going on in the business this week? Hey, this is the problem. Here's what's going on. Here's what I've got. You know what they want to do? They've been in the game for 30 years. 
They want back in. They don't want the headaches, but they want to solve that solution. They want that drop of dopamine in their brain that goes, hey, I just solved this. I've got, I've got my very favorite people in the world that carried on this Sherwood deal. I talk to them every month. They're smarter than me. They're way better at appliances than me. And when I need advice, you know what I do? I call Tom and Carol. That's, that's their names. And they're amazing. And, and I drop off the check for the land. I drop that, I drop that off in their living room. And we sit down and we have a soda pop or a beer at lunchtime. And, and Carol's an amazing cook and, and she'll, she'll make something and, and I'll have some brownies. I walk out of there three pounds heavier than I should, but I'm smarter because of, because they have 30 plus years of experience. And while they're tired, they're still passionate about their people. And so when I have to make that tough decision, they can make it for me. The funny thing is you're walking into their living room, hand delivering a check. They feel like you're doing them a favor. You're hand delivering them a check. You're giving them their money. You're making sure they get paid. They're like, wow, this guy's great. He's, he's like, he's literally coming into our living room. And meanwhile, you're sitting there thinking, no, they're doing me a favor. I get to go stand in their living room and talk to these people that ran this business for however many years that know part of this business better than you ever will. And they're going to sit there. They're, they're basically free consultants and they're, thanking, exactly and they're thanking you for it because you're hand delivering them a check. And not just for the consultants, they're passionate consultants. I mean, they're absolutely passionate. They have a stake in the game to know this thing's going to succeed. You know, they're my best PR people. They don't even live in the town anymore. They live about an hour and a half drive south. You know, I, I post something on Facebook for our business. And the first person who will like it every single time is going to be Carol Vincent. I guarantee it. And That's why? Awesome. Because she cares. She cares. And we just refinanced the property out. And, and the one caveat that she said... When we paid them out because we refinanced the land because we did get a heck of a deal and, and they had some health issues that that said, hey, here's what we're going to do. I don't want to get into that. But we refinanced out because it was in everybody's best best case for everybody. And when she did, she says, here's the one caveat. I'll sign this to do this because we you know we want to do this. But you still have to come by once a month. Aww. You don't get a not come by on the 17th of the month. And I'm like, please, you guys know how to navigate this better than me. Because they were there in 08, they were there in 87, they were there in 72. You know, they, they've done it and they're way better at it than me. And so the one thing that I will say is when, when I came into business as a young guy, I was probably the most arrogant, cocky, you know, ruthless, go at it type of guy. The last few years, my shift has changed 100% and I care more about that relationship. I know that if I went broke tomorrow, 365 days from now, I'm still sitting seven figures. Because I can figure it out. And I believe that anybody can do it. I'm not any smarter than anybody else. I have one skill that's stronger than anybody else. And that is I am relentless. I am absolutely relentless. And I believe in this economy. I believe that we're going to come back. And I believe that the people who are listening right now can go make it happen. And I believe that they can be relentless. We just have to go and we just have to fight and have to go and have to go and have to go. I love it. Yeah, we, we're definitely in a situation these days where there's a lot of opportunity to find these and you, we can call them sellers, but what they are is they're partners. We can go and we can find these partners, these people that that are looking for a solution for their business problem. And that solution is you being able to give them an annuity, monthly cash that you're paying them for their business, to give them continuity, to give them uh, um, uh, paying them every month for the land underneath their property. Basically, you're, you're helping them, they're helping you. And and together, you're helping all of your customers and their employees. Yep. 
Yeah. And that's exactly where we need to be. I mean, we're going to rebuild this thing back up in, in 30, 60, 90 days. There's going to be people who are tired. They're going to be people who say, you know, how much more risk do I need to take? And so what I'd ask everybody who's listening right now, find that business that in 30 days doesn't reopen. That the people say, you know what? I'm just tired. Call them up, get on LinkedIn, get on Instagram, get on Facebook, find out where these people are. Go to, go to the, you know, go to the chamber of commerce, find out where they are and don't leave one single business behind without saying, Hey, how do I resurrect this? How do I build this? Because if it existed 90 days ago, it'll exist 190 days from now. You know, we just have to look and say, how do we retain that as a, as a country? And there is so much opportunity, you know, with, with the real estate market doing what it is, there's a lot of risk in that. What if people don't pay, right? Well, why don't we control the variables we can? Why don't we build back our towns one small business at a time? Start with it. Anybody who's listening right now should have no excuse why they don't get on bizbysell.com or just swing by one of the businesses that they had, look them up and say, hey, you know what? XYZ mom and pop business. I care about you. I want to make sure you make it through. And if you're too tired to do it, here's my back right on me. I love it. And let me point something else out. And I, I assume that this is probably purposeful and I'll let you talk about this some more. And maybe it's, it's probably obvious to you, which is why you didn't mention it, but it's probably not obvious to a lot of us. The types of businesses that you mentioned, laundromat, uh, appliance repair, glass, these are all businesses that are recession proof. Service industries. They're service That's industries right. and they're recession proof. And these are businesses that if you're buying today, it doesn't matter if six months from now we recover and the economy is fantastic and, and, the, and the Dow is at, at 30,000 again, or if six fr- months from now, unemployment still at 8% and the stock market is down and real estate values are down. It doesn't matter. These are the types of businesses that are going to do well throughout any phase of the economic cycle. And and so it just adds an extra layer of protection. Is that something you've you've kind of purposely focused on or is that just kind Absolutely. of how? Okay. So I have a I have a super huge passion. I think our education system's kind of flawed personally, and I think that we've we've overvalued, you know, like I said I I got my degree in German. After high school for a year, I was junior ambassador to US Congress and spent a year and a half in Germany. They have a different education system than us. And I I see the same thing that Robert Kiyosaki talks about is that our education, we have a lot of schooling, but not a lot of educated people. And the problem is, is right now, you know, that blue collar job, that's important. You know, there's nothing to shy at at a plumber who's making 85 grand a year because a lot of plumbers are making 85 grand. A lot of, here's the thing, when I, with the glazing company, when I sold out, we had 150 employees and over a hundred of them made six figures a year. We didn't have 25 of those guys that had graduated college. We didn't have 50 of those guys that had gone to college. These are union glazers that were making a hundred thousand bucks a year, putting in storefront window recession proof because the facts are, is that bank still needs windows. That skyscraper still needs windows that Applebee's that whatever you've got, they need windows. So we have to put them in storefront windows. It was there. But too many people say, you know, I need to go to school. I need to do this. And so they spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on this education to go get a, a Bachelor of Arts in whatever studies that they've got. And they've got $200,000 in debt. And then they owe 30, you know, they make $35,000 a year. And then they're snickering at the guy who's a union guy who's making 85000 bucks a year putting in windows. Or my service techs that are making 20, 25, 30 bucks an hour as a service tech fixing appliances today that are working today. Well, those guys that have their bachelors and have $200,000 of debt or $100,000 of debt, 
or leaving their, you know, their non-essential job at 40,000 bucks a year. You know, we've got, we've got it wrong because it doesn't look like those guys are successful in the eyes of Instagram. You know, I don't care what Instagram says. You know, I wear, I wear a baseball hat and a polo shirt most of the time. You know, I don't care. I drive a Toyota Corolla with a crack in the windshield. I don't need Instagram to know who, who I am or what I am. You know who I want to know? I want the banker. When I walk into the, biz- into the bank, I want the small local banker, the guy who's the president of that bank, to stand up and go, Mr. Geisinger, it's good to see you today. I don't care if somebody recognizes me at the bar or off of this feed or anywhere else. What I care is that John Wilburn, who's the president of Pioneer Trust, knows who I am. That the guys at Willamette Valley Bank, my local bank, know who I am. That's what's important, that the guys at Willamette Community Bank know who I am. See, I build relationships with the small banks because those are the guys that are going to be there. It's not going to be J.P. Morgan Chase. Jamie Dimon at J.P. Morgan is, or at Chase is never going to take a, a call from me. You know, he's the CEO of that bank. But John Wilburn at Pioneer Trust, if I called him right now on this podcast, he'd pick up in two rings. That's what you want. That's the relationships. Because business is ultimately about relationships. And for so long, we've skewed this to say it's about the flash and the cash. It's not. It's about how do I fix one washing machine at a time? How do I make it so that when, you know, the biggest story I can say about my industry to this is that I had a gal call on just before Thanksgiving with a broken, broken range. And her issue was it wasn't about the, the, the range at all. She breaks down and starts crying and says, you know what? This isn't about dinner this isn't about this. It's that my mother-in-law is going to be here tomorrow. And for 30 years, she's thought that I wasn't a good enough wife. So what did I do? It was six o'clock at night and I, by myself, delivered a stove. I don't know how to install the stove. I learned. I literally YouTube how to put this thing together as the owner of the company. But I couldn't let this go because this wasn't about the stove. This gal's breaking down because it's not about the stove. It's not about any of that. It's about the relationship behind it. And that she wanted to prove, hey, I'm a good enough wife for my husband and to my mother-in-law. And so there's so many of those small stories and we, we, we miss this. This is so much more important than the marketing, than anything else. This is what we have. And this is what small business is built on. And I can't build back you know, the economy by myself. What I need is I need 7 million people to come with me and say, we're going to take one more step. Love this. There are so many amazing stories in here, so many good nuggets, so many. I mean, it's not about the flash and the cash and the I don't care about Instagram knowing me. I care about my small local banker knowing me. There are just so many powerful messages throughout all of this. So what's next for you? I mean, I can only I can't even begin to imagine you've done so many amazing things. What is next for Nigel? So, you know, I don't know. To be honest, I'm trying to grow, uh, you know, and, and and build this back. What I'm really passionate about, in fact, I called and got to talk to my state representative last week and said, you know, my passion is one thing right now. It is I want to make sure that as we come out of this, that we don't leave one business behind. Not one. I don't want to lose a single business. And I don't want to see any of these 360,000 businesses that wrapped up last year just wrap up. I want to see 200,000 MBA students that graduate come in and take these businesses. I want to see businesses be built where we have the relationship first and that we actually care about our employees. And what what I've done here in the last week, if you'd asked me this two weeks ago, I'd have said, you know, hey, I'm just going to grow my business and do me. But in the last two weeks, I've probably had about 500 people call me and says, hey, how do I, how do I navigate this shift? How do I navigate through the CARES Act? How do I navigate through SBA? How do I navigate for this growth? And so one of my buddies who has a company called All the Leads, 
his name's Chad Corbett. He says, you know, what we're in now is we're not in a small economy anymore. We're in a professional market. We need professionals to come in, SBA, SBA graduates to come in and fix this thing, one business owner at a time and, and step up our game. And so he and I started uh, and we just launched it. It's a website called YourSmallBusinessHub.com. And what we're going to do is we're going to just give out advice of how to buy businesses, how to purchase businesses, uh, creative financing, some mentorship, some consulting, uh, how to navigate the CARES process. We're not trying to generate revenue. What we want is we want to retain every business. My passion is I don't want to see anybody go behind. Even the competitors who I was dogfighting out with three weeks ago, I want to fight them again. I don't want to see them lose to this. I don't want to knock them out. I don't want that weak zebra to die because of hunger. I want it because I, as a lion, am going to go attack and take them out. I don't want them to die of famine. And right now, what's that mean? It means that I got to prop them up. And so I believe that we all need to prop up businesses right now, and we need to start locally. And this is going to happen one person in your town today saying, you know what? Not today, this far, no further. I love it. I absolutely love it. Okay. I want you to leave us, before we jump into the uh, four more segment of the show, I want you to leave us with a call to action. For all of our listeners out there who are listening to this and thinking, I'm excited. I am inspired. I am ready to go be one of those 7 million that's going to buy a small business and grow a small business. And I want to do it tomorrow. Give us a call to action. Perfect. Okay. Here's a call. What I want you to do tomorrow is I want you to list three businesses, write them out, Find out who, who of those businesses in your town. Find the businesses that are owned by somebody who's a baby boomer. And I want you to actually make contact with them. I want you to call them up and just say, hey, how's your business doing? How can I support you? Are you thinking about wrapping it up? And if so, how can I stop that from happening? What support can I give you? Not economic, hey, how can I go buy a gift card at your restaurant? I mean, how can I partner with you? I want you to call three businesses. I want you to find out who the owners are. I want you to actually make contact with them. I want you to have meaningful conversation with them. And I want you to ask them, what do they need so that together, you and them, 365 days from now, are kicking butt and taking names and that that business is thriving. And so you need to call three. Two of them are going to tell you to pound sand. One of them is going to say, you know what, let's do this. And if all three of them say to heck with it, you know what you need to do? Call three more. And then call three more and call three more until you get one person who says, you know what? I'm tired. I don't have the energy to do this back, but I like your spunk and we're going to do this together. So what's the action step? Before you go back to work, if people are laid off right now listening to this, before you go back to work, you better find somebody because there are ample businesses and social media is amazing. We can get on Facebook. We can get on LinkedIn. We can get on Instagram. You can find who these people are. You know, if you Google my name, I guarantee you'll be able to find my home address. Drive to their house. Hold up a note like love, actually. Hey, I loved your business. Can I buy it? What can we do t- together? Hold the sign, you know? I don't care how you do it. Get creative. But the action step is actually do something. If people are listening to this and they don't make a step, I'm just going to say I'm disappointed. Because the reason that I'm on here with you guys today, the reason I'm taking my time, is because I actually believe that this can be fixed. And it's not going to be fixed because of somebody in the White House. It's not going to be fixed because of the 400 and some odd people in Congress or the 100, and, you know, the 100 senators that we have. It's going to be taken in 7 million steps, one step at a time, and 7 million people saying, I'm not letting this business fail. I'm not letting this happen to my town. 
So I'm drawing the line and I'll take the first step. I love it. And and I just need to say one more thing because this is so important. All the people out there I talk to, again, I'm taking this back to real estate. I always take it back to real estate. But all the people out there that I talk to that say, yeah, it's too hard to find good real estate deals these days. I wish I were doing this back in 2010 and 11 and 12 because that's when all the good deals were and I missed the boat and blah, 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 blah. Well, let me tell you something. In the business world, today, tomorrow, next month, next year is the 2009, 10, and 11 of the real estate world. These are going to be the best opportunities that we could see anytime in the last decade and potentially in the next decade. So don't ignore what Nigel's saying here. Don't find yourself in two or five or 10 years looking back and saying, damn, I wish I would have taken action on, on a business back in 2020 when I first heard this. Because now, now is the time that you're going to look back and say, this was the opportunity. That's exactly it. This is the moment. I'm telling you, you're going to see a lot of changes happening as as things go politically and just culturally in our country in, in the near future as we come out of this thing. And they're going to call it a movement of some sort. This isn't a movement. This isn't a movement. This is the moment. Jump on it right now. If you don't, you are only cheating yourself. I love it. Okay, I could talk for another 10 hours, but we're about an hour in, so so I think it's time to jump into that final segment of the show that we call Four More, where we ask you the same four questions that we ask all of our guests, and then give you an opportunity to tell us more about where our listeners can connect and find out more about you. Sound good? Perfect. Excellent. Okay, I'm going to take the first question. What is your very first, you've already told us your first, so I don't, I don't, I don't want to hear the first. Your first, you were selling rocks on the beach, which was awesome. I want to hear about the worst job you ever had and what you learned from it. Oh, man. So to pay my way through school at Oregon State, I was a sewer pipe layer. And I, I don't want to get edited here, but that means exactly what you think it means. It means that you are in live human feces, like laying sewer pipe. Yeah. No, it's a really wow. crappy job, like as bad as it gets. But the the thing that I got from it, I had a superintendent who worked for me, who super blessed to have this guy. He's built like a like an ox. The guy's six foot five, six foot six, former bodybuilder, just yoked. And he and I were working in chest waders, dry waders, in human feces, working on wrenching in this this big pipe that was coming in. And he dropped his wrench in live sewer. And he reaches down, bare hand, picks up his wrench and goes back to work. And I can see your guys' face is just cringing right now. And that's exactly what my face did. And he looked at me and he says, I want you to remember this as the guy who's, who's your foreman, as your superintendent. I want you to remember this. I'm never going to ask you to do something I wouldn't do myself. And I'll reach in live shit. And he says, if you're going to be a leader, you lead from the front. You never tell your people to do something you won't do. But know that if I ask you how to do this, this is how serious I am. And he reached down and grabbed his wrench and went back to work. Didn't cringe, didn't do anything, just did it. Now, that's where we are as an economy. And that's, that's the most important lesson I got from the worst job I ever did. Because nothing sounds horrible like you have to change your clothes before you get in your car every day. And that's what we had to do. That is an amazing story. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Second question is, if you had to go back in time... What would you do differently? And the point of this question is, what can you 
what action items, what tips can you give to an entrepreneur who's just starting out so they don't have to learn the hard way on something that you learn the hard way on? I would have been a heck of a lot less cocky. You know, I was a really overly cocky individual coming into business because I've always found success through tenacity, through relentlessness, whatever it is. And eventually we all go up and we all go down. And so if I could give my my younger self some better advice, um, it would have been, hey, on the way up, be a lot nicer, you know, be a lot more, you have a lot more mercy. I didn't have that. And, and that's a that's a character flaw that I had. And I'd be lying if I said I've mastered that because I haven't, you know, I'm, I'm working at it. I, I would have told myself be way more compassionate because there's a lot of effort that these other competitors have put in and it sucks watching this thing get hurt. And so, you know, we're all going to, we're all going to experience the highs. We're all going to experience the lows. I was absolutely jacked when we, when we build somebody up and, uh, or take somebody out. And, you know, I, I shouldn't have let that high get so high and shouldn't let the lows get so low. So that would be my advice is, you know, even when you're in, in, when you're in the mess, don't, don't get too high, don't get too low. And uh, that's advice that I have to, to tell myself, even as soon as, as last night, I, I was a little sad because I had to furlough people who I love. And uh, that's, that's just what happens. And so, um, you know, I, I, I had to do what, what other people had to do before. So knowing that we're all going to be there. And so have that compassion that you should have. It's never as good as it seems. It's it's never as bad as it seems. That's right. Yep. Wow. Okay. Uh, number three. Uh, this one's going to be a little bit lighter note. What's your favorite book? Ooh, favorite book. Boy, you know, I, I took a challenge this year and I'm working on it of reading the Bible all the way through. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm doing the daily Bible thing this, this year. So that's my very favorite book. But when it comes to business, there's a book that most people haven't ever heard. There's a book called Give Them the Pickle by Robert Farrell. And uh, Bob Farrell owned Farrell's Ice Cream Parlor on the West Coast in Seattle and Portland. Um, they were an old-timey ice cream store. And Bob Farrell's book, Give Them the Pickle, talks about customer service and why he started up Farrell's Ice Cream Parlor. Farrell's Ice Cream Parlor, when he sold out, had a... 100% success rate in an industry that has a 90% failure rate. And the reason and the story of give him the pickle is he had a customer who came in and ate lunch every single day. And he had a new employee who made their sandwich and didn't give a pickle. The people wanted, an, the guy wanted a pickle with his meal every single day. That was what he wanted with his sandwich. And the, the customer, uh, the guy comes up to the counter and says, hey, I didn't get my pickle. And they said, well, that'll be 25 cents. And Bob Farrell lost his mind, and he right in front of the uh, in front of the customer, in front of the in front of the employee, said, "Let me break down the math for you." Bob Farrell was an amazing analytical mind. And he says, "This guy has been in here for ten years, eating lunch every day. That's three hundred and sixty-five days a year at five dollars a year times ten years. This pickle doesn't mean anything." And he grabbed a jar of pickles and handed it to him and said, "Anytime you come in, you can have a jar of pickles. We'll give you the pickle." And he made a big sign then that afterwards, every one of his employees, give them the pickle. This guy has spent like 5,000 bucks and solely because they gave him a free pickle. And so he says, you know, what, what are we, we're tripping over this life customer who eats with us every single day over a 25 cent pickle. How stupid are we at business if we don't give them the pickle? Just give them the pickle, give them the pickle. And he was a, he was a, an amazing 
amazing businessman. He had Newport Bay Restaurant. He had um, Stanford's and uh, and Farrell's Ice Cream Parlor. He's since passed. Uh, his company he sold before he passed. But amazing businessman. He lived it. And it's a really quick read. You could probably read it in 20 minutes. But it's called Give Him the Pickle. Love it. Give him the pickle. Not, not often that somebody recommends a book on here that I've never even heard of. But I, uh, because you did, I actually ordered that while you were telling the story. So I, I missed the story, <laughs> but I've ordered the book. You can, you can go back and play this podcast again, Jay. I, I this know. is good for everybody. I know, everybody but I, 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 I want the book. <laughs> totally. There's a spot on your bookshelf just for it. Okay. So here is our fourth question of the former. So Nigel, like a lot of people we talk to, you're not into fancy cars. I mean, you told us about your Toyota Corolla with the crack windshield. We're the yep. same way a lot of entrepreneurs are. So what is something in your personal or professional life that you've splurged on along the way that was totally worth it? Yeah. So boy, that's a hard one because I really don't splurge a lot. And this was out of all the things when we filled out the paperwork, what's the one that's going to be difficult to fill out? We bought a, about four years ago, we bought uh, through my property holding company, we bought a lake house that we use. We were able to, we hadn't moved rinse up on anybody for a long time. And so, I mean, for like years. And so we made a modest move of about $50 per unit up on everybody and we have a couple hundred units. And so then we, we bought just a townhome style lake house uh, in Lincoln City at Devil's Lake. And, you know, when things get stressful, that's where we went. You know, that's where we go. And we go and, you know, go kayaking. And so it's just a small little lake. It's called Devil's Lake in Lincoln City. And uh, it's about a mile away from the beach. So you can be on the beach. You can be at the lake. I didn't spend a lot. I spent like 230,000 bucks on a two bedroom condo. I've got four kids, you know, I mean, this thing's tight, but it's just enough that we can all go and, 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 you know, relax and get away from, from our house. It's about an hour drive away. And it, it allows me, especially if I have a difficult day, I go sit and I do work there. I've called customers from there since it's an hour drive to my house. And so going to the office, sometimes I'll do my work from there um, just to, to have a little bit different scenery. So I haven't really ever splurged on, you know, no cars, no big trips. I'm not a, you know, not a extreme lifestyle type of guy. I get to sit and watch my kids go fishing off the dock and and never catch a fish. And I get to watch, you know, my other kids, uh, you know, kayak and get to go out there and, and just paddle around in a kayak or a canoe or a whatever. We've got one of those paddle boats, you know, that we bought it for 300 bucks, you know, off Craigslist. I mean, we're just just relaxing to spend time on the family because if anything right now, know that family is the very, very most important that exists. And uh, that's why I say it's all about the small business. It's all about the small community. It's all about your family. And and I don't ever want to be that guy with the Ferrari. That's not my, that's not my, my deal. Um, like I say, I don't, I don't want to be flashy. I don't want everybody to know me. I want the banker to know me. I love it. And, and that's, what's important. Love it. Awesome. Okay. So that's the four. Let's jump into the more part of the four more. And that's where you tell our listeners where they can find out more about you, how they can connect with you and anything else you want to tell us about or pitch. So biggest thing is, like I said earlier, I'm starting up a website. We're just, we're just getting this thing up and going for uh, called your small business hub.com. That's where we're going to be helping people with just assets and information as to, you know, how to buy and sell businesses, how to get creative financing, assistance for some mentorship, some consulting, and and how to navigate the CARES package right now. This thing is going to be ever evolving. It's mainly just a passion project to help people 
just get out there and keep this economy going and keeping small businesses going. I do have LinkedIn, but I don't know how to log in. So, so don't hit me up there because, because <laughs> I don't even know, uh, I don't even know what the password is. Um, I am on Instagram. I am on Facebook. And my commitment is if you send me a message through Instagram, I will respond back to you. No matter who it is, no matter what it is, I will respond back and I will do whatever I can because I truly believe that right now my my obligation to society is that I need to help businesses thrive and I need to help people grow. And I want to help people who have never been in business get there. So it's just Nigel Geisinger at Instagram and uh, just all spelled out. So you guys need anything. I'm, I'm here. I want to support people. And I know that uh, no one person can do it by themselves. Awesome. Nigel, for everybody out there listening, if you want to uh, see links to everything you just mentioned, they're in the show notes. So go check out our show notes. Um, Nigel, this is fantastic. I assume you're going to be back at the Bigger Pockets conference later this year. So hopefully we'll have a chance to chat again. I'm very interested to see what uh, what's in store for you the next six months. And uh, I have a feeling you're going to be pretty busy. So looking forward to chat with you in a few months. But thank you so much for being here. And I uh, would love to have you back next year just to hear what opportunities you were able to take advantage of during this uh, tumultuous economic time. Absolutely. Anytime you guys want me, I'm, I'm here for you guys anytime. Awesome. Thanks, Nigel. Thank you so Talk much. Okay. I got to be honest. If after listening to that episode, everybody that is listening to this show doesn't get off their butts in the next 24 hours and go out there and start driving around. If you're willing to drive around, some people don't want to leave their house. If you're not looking to leave your house, then go hop on Google Earth or Google Maps or whatever you use and do a search of all the businesses around your area and start doing some research and start picking up the phone and calling those owners just to talk to them and say, hey, what's going on? How can I help you? And start working on putting together a deal because Nigel made a great point. If you start today... 365 days from now, you're going to be in a much, much, much better position. Agreed. And let's not forget, he reminded us that if we don't jump on it right about now, we are each going to be kicking ourselves a few years from now saying, why didn't I go after that opportunity when it was right there in front of me? So this episode, I feel, is exactly, exactly, exactly what we all needed to hear right about now. It was uplifting, it was inspirational, and it was full of action-packed tips. So thank you so much, Nigel. That was fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic episode. Okay, everybody, you have a wonderful week. Go get out there, start finding businesses, calling business owners, talking to business owners, and put together some offers this week. Everybody, she's Carol. I'm Jay. Pick up that phone and call three businesses today. Three, 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 three is the magic number, people. Get out there, get after it, stay safe, stay healthy. Thanks for tuning in. See you, everybody.